Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Call of Cthulhu Mythos Mysteries, where we will be going over horror on the Orient Express, specifically the campaign Dancers in an Evening Fog. I am your keeper, Ariel, and let's go around introducing our characters. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm playing Kyle Draper, a.k.a. The Drunk. Hello, my name is Mark. I'll be playing James Clarkson. Um, Daniel, I play Fred Lyons, the parapsychologist. I'm Michelle, and I'm going to be playing Doris Oakley, the private detective. All right, let's get started. Where we last left off, Kyle and Fred received an invitation from James to go to London to see an exhibit opening. You got on your boat, met Doris, who happens to be a cousin of Millie Oakley, the reporter. You get to your destination, see the art exhibit, and were invited to attend the Challenger Lecture by James's old friend, Dr. Julius Smith. So we will begin with you sitting at the table awaiting the lecture. So uh, I was promised alcohol. Not alcohol, boy. Um, is I what to say? I failed to mention before we came here. This is a very, very prestigious party. And I mean, this, you have to be on your upmost behavior, because they will not hesitate to throw you to the curb if you are disruptive. Oh, you are quite right, sir. Thank you. I'm glad you can finally see eye to eye. I'm born the flat scout. <laughs> I'm going to try to snatch it from his hand. Yeah. Nope. I failed. No. Okay, you tried to go for his flask, <laughs> and he... Yanks it back. I'm going to stick it back in my coat pocket. Right. Just lay off the sauce. 
So you receive a wonderful dinner. It is an exquisite meal paired with the finest wine. And I'm sorry, Kyle. It's a glass. That's all you get. Is it empty? If you drink it, yes, it will be oh. empty. <laughs> I thought you were saying all I got was an empty no, glass. No, just one glass of wine. So you sit, you eat, you enjoy yourselves. And the wait staff come and take your plates. And up at the podium steps Dr. Smith. Now, James, you would remember that his rigorous skepticism and methodical analysis had earned him high reputation as a debunker of mediums, spiritualists, fortune tellers, prophets, holy sites, apparitions, and so on. And he begins speaking. And he is quite an entertainer. You find yourself laughing a lot with his opening statements. And he says, afterwards, there proved to be, however, categories of repetitious phenomenon offering no simple elucidation. I refer to the poltergeist, to the traveler, who suddenly finds himself dozens or thousands of miles or years from where he stood moments before and to the haunting. My presentation tonight concerns the last. I say haunting and not ghost or spirit because alone of such epiphenomena, haunters can be buildings, lanterns, coaches and fours, swords and so on, as well as men, women, dogs, bears, processions, even armies. Worldwide, the store of casual anecdote concerning haunters is enormous. And I say epiphenomena because the haunters are not linked with specific observers and the haunting presumably occurs with or without human witnesses, as we shall see. Thus, perception of such an event is secondary to the event itself. The essential characteristics of haunters are simple. The person or thing must have existed, must have disappeared in some sense, and then must reappear once or many times. The location of the phenomenon may stay the same or may change. That which reappears may be partial and insubstantial, or be as solid and real-seeming as any member of tonight's illustrious gathering. No other conditions are needed. So then Dr. Smith then projects slides of three hauntings in detail. A Breton fishing boat, a Norwegian woman, and a London handsome cab. Each incident was studied and photographed simultaneously from at least three positions, allowing accurate scaling of the apparitions. Dr. Smith is able to demonstrate several 
characteristic shared by the three. The three apparitions do not coalesce from points, as most tales describe, but slowly emerge whole from invisible planes, as if passing through what Smith terms the curtains of perception. Each is semi-transparent. He traces the clear passage of a wave through the fishing boat, for instance, and shows that the image causes no froth or ripples. It does not resist the water. In other slides, the audience sees the second or third photographers through the image of the apparition. Each apparition glows appreciably, as Dr. Smith demonstrates, by isolating the reflections from nearby objects. Sampling attributes, part of the glow to ionization, but not all. Careful indexing of the reflections indicates that the level of ionization varied randomly during each of it. The rate at which these three apparitions manifested motion was in comparison to normal movement, slowed by a consistent half in each case. Smith points out a ripple passing across the sail of the fishing boat when 16 millimeter cinematograph films film of it is speeded appreciably. The ripple seems normal while the ocean waves become ridiculous. So does the staircase descent of the Norwegian woman seem less unusual when speeded up. The horse drawing the handsome cab switch, switches her tail casually as if discouraging flies rather than making seemingly malevolent and mysterious gestures. Historically, each of these three apparitions was held to have disappeared, not to have been killed or destroyed, though this observation could not be said true of every apparition. Comparatively, instances of touchable, solid apparitions rarely occur. One might wait many lifetimes for a chance. Such apparitions seem not to be uniformly preserved. The south of England, he notes, has been settled by man for many thousands of years, yet the vast majority of haunting seems to have been produced in the past five or six centuries. Only a handful survive from Roman times. And Smith concludes by observing that in the past 30 years, science has begun to learn about about that which cannot be seen or normally sensed, and that some behavior on the atomic level is impossible in the greater world. He has come to think that hauntings offer clues to so far indefinable ways of arriving at or opening a way into other dimensions. It is my belief that such hauntings represent clues concerning a natural universe much larger and much stranger than we imagine. The walls of what we perceive as normality have a subtle flexibility. The spectral hauntings I have discussed represent attempts, perhaps random, perhaps purposeful, certainly unsuccessful, to return to this time and space by elements of which of it somehow removed. If we are energetic 
and not a little lucky in our observations. Students of paraphysicality may one day be able to move up and down time or to travel globally with minor effort or to perceive that which at present lies completely beyond our senses. What waits beyond remains the supreme question which, for the present, each must answer for himself. So, thus the lecture ends. He bids farewell and good night to everybody and leaves the podium. And there's many applause and everything. People start to get up, put their coats back on, and start leaving. So, after a while, he makes his way to your table as you are sitting there chit-chatting, chatting about the lecture. Hey, did you see them photos? <laughs> yeah. Guess he's after <clears throat> my photos. I yeah. believe you two would have quite a bit to talk about, actually. Sounds like he wants to debunk some of my stuff. <clears throat> I don't think it's so much debunking as it was discussing that there's a possibility of another realm. Now, now you see that um, why I invited you here. Yeah, he still said a lot of fancy words that I didn't quite grasp, but, you know, I, the concept's there. That's why I said that you were a little undereducated for this, but you still learned a bit, I'm sure. I'm going to glare at him. <laughs> I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just saying that American universities just aren't up to par as uh, ones here in London. So, Dr. Smith approaches your table. Doctor, absolutely fantastic. I'm glad you invited me along. I'm quite glad you enjoyed. <clears throat> says, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, my dear friend. Oh, oh. I am attempting to introduce scientific methodology into the study of magic. Oh, is that so? Oh, that's an simply fascinating yes especially concerning the possible variety of gates Ooh. yes I do believe that there are possible gates opening to these other dimensions oh. I'm gonna start looking real nervous how do you how do you suppose you're gonna go about um, <clears throat> doing that I haven't quite figured it out yet. I am still researching, but it is quite fascinating. And I need you all to roll me a spot hidden. Oh yeah, 43. Yep, that's a 32 under 37. <laughs> 767. Nice. That's 18 under 25. Sweet, so all four of you as Dr. Smith is talking, you notice that there is a man watching you from afar. He's a, a dark mustached man in his late 30s. He wears a mustache bushy enough to be classified as foreign. And he is just watching you talking to Dr. S Smith. And as he notices you... Looking at him, he gestures an apology and slips into the crowd. Can I try to roll to see if I can keep eyes on him in the crowd? You can try. 
Doctor, did you invite a bushy mustached foreign man? 39 out of 75. Not quite. You keep a little bit of an eye on him, but he disappears out of sight. And he says, I don't believe so, no, but he might have been invited by um, someone else. No concern. He just caught my eye and it looked foreign. The mustache and all. Nosy fucker. Hmm. He's probably wondering, you know, how we know, or how, you know, I know the professor here. Hmm. I mean, the professor does have quite a bit of reputation around, so. Well, I am very glad you have enjoyed the lecture. I would love to discuss more with you. At a later time. Of course, my doors are always open. Just uh, pop in and discuss things at a later date, of course. Excellent. You know that my family's always been interested in the field you study, and of course, we've always tried to support you as best we can. You see, my <clears throat> my family sponsored him through university. We. We shouted down quite a bit a few times, but we became quick friends, and me having the connections I do amongst the elite of London, we seen him through, and he's now being taken quite seriously around the territory, and he's very prestigious. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, I knew you wouldn't be interested in that. <laughs> And Dr. Smith has left, and he has gone to mingle with other guests. So the evening concludes. You head back to James, and the next day comes. Do you wish to do any more sightseeing or anything? Uh, no, if there's nothing on the agenda, he would most likely uh, take them like shooting or something. Okay, so you enjoy a day of shooting. Nothing really spectacular happens. So, uh, <clears throat> I want to pull lions aside while those two are shooting. So the, uh, that, uh, science guy. Yeah? Talking about open doorways? Not entirely for sure. I mean... I was more on the thing about him saying certain hauntings weren't real. I think we gotta keep an eye on this one. Now I kinda wanna see where these hauntings are. Of course you do. This is supposed to be a vacation, and yet I'm still going to work. <sighs> Let's just keep an eye on this guy. Make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. I do. <laughs> just gonna shake my head so another day passes it is now Saturday James you have received the paper for the day and the headline catches your eye and it says man dies three times in one night. Hmm. 
good heavens. Three bodies in hotel. Each man carries same identity. So you read further on. Three slain men were discovered last night in a London hotel, each bearing positive identification as Mr. Mehmet Macriot of Islington. Each have been stabbed through the heart. Maids at the Chelsea Arms Hotel discovered the remains. The room also was registered in the name of Mr. Macriot. Bonafide papers identify the trio as one man, the Mr. Macriot, who is a Turkish antique and art dealer doing business in the city. The victims bear superficial resemblances and each had passed as Mr. Macriot since independently arriving in London three days ago. Confusingly, the real Mr. Macriot, or at least the man described by neighboring shopkeepers as Mr. Macriot, cannot be found. Police request that he come forth. The passports of these Turkish nationals record independent worldwide travels for each man over the past three years. Inspector Fleming of Scotland Yard is at a loss to describe the meaning of the bizarre mystery, but is eager to converse with any other Mehmet Macriots still living. Do they have a picture? Um, there is no picture on this. <clears throat> However, roll me a spot hidden. And have you told anybody else about this, or have you said Not it out yet. loud? Okay. Ooh. 28 under 37. Okay, so you happen to notice a second story. It says, Professor's home burns, fears for his safety. And you continue reading. It says, Professor Julius Arthur Smith, a figure well known in academia was sought today following the burning of his St. John's Woods home under mysterious circumstances. Missing also is Dr. Smith's manservant, one James Beddoes. Witnesses saw a man resembling Beddoes run from the house just before the fire broke out. Anyone knowing the whereabouts of Dr. Smith or Beddoes is requested to contact Detective Sergeant Rigby at Scotland Yard's Arson Division. Uh, good heavens. <clears throat> Lads, I am... Uh, madam, of course. There's something I, I think I must attend to today. It's quite shocking. That Professor Smith... <clears throat> um, it appears his home's been burned and he's missing. As well as there's another article in here... Turkish man uh, seems to have died three times in one night. Yes, appears three bodies were found at the hotel, Chelsea Arms, and um, each man independently had a passport from various places for the past three years across the world, and they all seem identical to each other. but they're trying to find the actual man himself but they don't know where he's at and it appears my friend, Professor friend Smith is missing and 
his manservant's missing, and he was... His manservant was seen running from the house shortly before his house burned to the ground. Um, <clears throat> well, I think we should take him uh, each one at a time. Well, I'd like to go to Professor Smith's house first. Uh, check that out and see if we can assist Scotland Yard in any way we can. <clears throat> and uh, you two being investigators, I'm sure... You know, you could offer your services to them and might get paid for the, your time, as it were. And a pair of fresh eyes might be good for the case. Could always use more booze money. Right. <clears throat> what do you say, Doctor? Are you up for it? I mean, this is no different than stuff we've encountered before. I kind of figured you guys would be excited to see this. So let's chase down uh, Arson Boy, and then we'll go check out the three bodies. Okay, sounds good. It's fine with me. I'll call for a vehicle to be brought around so we can get taken to the... Taken to the uh, home of Professor Smith. Do I have like a... I have like a little kit in that. I'm sure you would, yeah. Um, I'm going to grab that out of my bag before we... Okay. Head out. So you go out the door. And as you open the door, you notice there's a cab driver walking up. And he says, I have a message for uh, James Clarkson. Oh, that's me. I'll take it. Now, here you go. And he hands it to you. And you open it up and it says, come at once. I haven't long. For God's sake, let no one follow you. J.A. Smith. Does it give coordinates to where to go? or It does not. <clears throat> Come at once. What do I mean? And the, you flip it around trying to look, and it is on the back of Professor Smith's calling card. And you happen to notice an impression of a ring has been left on a blob of wax that had closed the envelope. And roll me a spot. And you all can if you're looking at it. Yep, 12%. There's 9%. 42 out of 67. Oh, 66 over 42. Okay, so Kyle, Fred, and James, you happen to recognize the emblem as was on a ring Dr. Smith was wearing at the lecture. Anything particular about that ring? <clears throat> Is there something I can roll to see if I can remember anything about the ring? Um, you can, if you would like, um, an intelligence. That's right at my alley. 63 under 80. Okay, you try to remember anything about it, but all that you can remember is this, the emblem was on the ring that he had worn to the T. So that's about all you can discern from it. However, when you look back on the calling card... You realize there is an address. 
Mm. on the front. The address is in Cheapside, a low-class area of London, which you would know isn't quite an area that Smith would frequent. Uh, this is most unusual. <clears throat> right. Um, I'm going to get in the car in the back. Whoa, 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 chief. What? You're going to need to change them duds. Don't worry. That's what you fellas are for. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Besides, I have no low class duds. <laughs> this is as plain as I get. Believe me. Well, uh, we're going to take separate cars then. All right. If we get caught seen with you. They're going to want to follow us. Uh, um, driver, have another car brought around and another driver. Um. Okay, so you get your second car brought around. Are you heading to the address? Um, no, I'm going to tell him to drop me off a few blocks away. And I'm going to try to keep an eye out to see if I'm being followed at all. Okay. Is everybody else with you? Um, well, he wanted a second car, so I don't know what his plan is. I want the driver to go a completely opposite direction, but to the address on the cart. Okay. Kind of like weaving in and out, you know, of like streets and things. Take a long way there to see if I notice anybody following us. Okay, so... Um, James, you arrive first and uh, roll me a spot. Uh, no, 75 or 37. Okay. As far as you can tell, nobody is following you. And you start walking and you get to the address. And around that time, Kyle and the rest um, pull up to the address and you three can roll me a spot. 49 out of 75. Nope. No. Okay, so Kyle, well, really all three of you, you didn't notice anybody following you. So it would appear to be safe. Alright, we'll hop out. You clean? Yes, I'm positive of that. I'm going to walk inside. Okay. Well, as you um, try to walk inside, the door is locked. So I'm assuming you're knocking. Yeah. Okay, so you knock and a few seconds goes by. And a man cautiously opens the door and you notice this man's hands are bandaged and roll me all of you can roll me an intelligence that's a 94 out of 55 (laughs) it's a 57 under 80 40 out of 55 okay 68 over 60. No. So, Fred and James, you realize that this is the... Professor? It is not the professor, but his manservant. Ah. Uh, Beddoes. Beddoes? 
Oh, chap, what's going on? He looks around nervously. For God's sakes, open the door, let me in. So he continues to look around a little bit and just motions you to come in with his bandaged hands. Of course, of course. So you all go into this place and he shuts the door, locks it again. Inside the room, the drapes have been pulled, shutting out as much light as possible. So it is quite dark in here. There would be a few candles lit, but that's it. The figure of the professor can be dimly seen on the bed. And when you get a little closer, you see intense burns on his face. And I need you all to roll me a sanity. 41 under 49. 78 out of 71. (laughs) (laughs) 10 out of 51. 70 over 40. So, (laughs) Doris and Kyle. Now, Kyle, this catches you off guard. You weren't expecting to see this. You lose a D3 sanity. So, one sanity. One. So, you lose one. So you both lose one sanity. And like I said, Kyle, this catches you off guard. You weren't expecting to see such a charred face. And... She's still fucking alive? Smith, what on earth happened? His, You notice his eyes are swollen shut. And... He looks different, but... You just come to the conclusion it's because his sideburns and mustache has been seared away. And you notice a side table containing supplies for um, treatments for burns, including bottles and tubes, as well as morphine and other drugs. And as you ask him, James, he struggles to sit up. He and he greets you in a gasping wheeze, not at all like his normal booming voice. And as he addresses you, his tone grows grows hoarser and hoarser. And he tells you, I cannot talk for long. I have been on the trail of an evil occult artifact. The Sedefkar Simulacrum. It's a statue and a source of great magical power. It was taken apart at the end of the 18th century and scattered across Europe. I plan to retrieve the pieces and destroy them. My lecture was intended to attract those that might help me, but my enemies have found me. Last night, Beddoes and I were attacked in our home by Turkish madmen. I suppose it's the same Turkish men that were found at the hotel. I believe that they also seek the simulacrum, but for foul purposes. 
the Turks tried to burn us alive, but Beto saved us both. But my my notes were destroyed in the fire, unless the Turks have them. They must not be allowed to recover the statue. I beg you, collect it before the assassins can reach it. I can tell you what I remember of the research. And as he's talking, his voice is growing hoarser and it's just wheezing this out. And his voice is starting to go down a little bit. So it's getting a little bit harder to hear, but you can still hear him. He says, Paris was where the statue was dismembered. The owner was a noble, Comte Fenelic, who lost it just prior to the French Revolution. Some part of it may still be in France. Napoleon's soldiers carried a piece into Venice where they invaded that city. Another fragment made its way to Trist at the same time. I don't know what became of it, but I suggest you look up Johann Winkelmann at the museum there. There may be a piece in the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slavins. Start at the National Museum of Belgrade. Dr. Milovan Todorovic is the curator. One part was lost near Sofia during the Bulgarian War in 1875. At that time, things of value were hidden from the invaders, so it may be buried somewhere. The final piece was in circulation in Paris just after the Great War and was sold to someone from Milan. I don't know who. I urge you, collect the statue pieces and destroy them. The only one sure way is to take it back to its original home, a place in Constantinople known as the Shunned Mosque. A ritual will destroy it utterly. And it's included in a set of documents known as the Set of Cursed Scrolls. But I've been unable to consult them. I beg you, please do this for me. Go, go quickly, and God help you. And as he barely whispers that last part out, it becomes a wheeze. And his voice is gone entirely. And Beto's hands him a glass of water, which he sips a little bit and falls back onto the pillow. I'm gonna check to make sure he's okay, like not dead. Uh, roll me a first aid. Eleven under thirty. <laughs> Yay! So you check him, and he is unconscious, but he is alive. Beto's hands you a piece of paper. <sighs> Kyle and on that paper he had scribbled down everything that Dr. Smith had said and his eyes are downcast <clears throat> and he goes and opens a cupboard and 
extracts of Valis. And within it are 200 new Bank of England five euro notes, 1,000 pounds sterling. And he hands over the case to you. So I'm going to take the case and hand it off to uh, James. Uh, and he speaks to you and he's still really nervous. And he says, the professor wished to fund the expedition and desires no accounting. Before this dreadful attack, he had planned to travel via the Simplon Orient Express. Uh, the Ori Express services offer the finest, fastest, and most reliable rail transport on the continent. As you know, my master is accustomed to comfort. Yes, of course. And he clears his throat and just looks down. <clears throat> Don't worry, Bettos. We'll get through this old chap. Um, and you know the police are looking for you, right? Scotland Yard and all. Um, <clears throat> they're wanting to know what happened exactly I know you have enemies and you have to take care of <clears throat> Smith but we're being watched I is there anything a description I could take back to them and somehow somehow surreptitiously give it to them uh, something I could tell them that uh, might help them scoot closer to your enemies perhaps they can keep an eye on them in London and give you guys a bit of a comfort zone as it, as it is I, I, I do not wish to do anything without my master um, agreeing to it of course yes <clears throat> alright well I'll do what I can. We'll we'll track down this statue and and dispose of it, of course. So I'm gonna finish jotting down in my coded text all the information you had on the paper, and then I'm gonna light the paper on fire. What? Why would you do that? Why would you light that paper on fire? I, I wrote down the information for you of everything you needed to know. It. Don't worry, I've got it all written down. I'm going to hold up one of my small journals. And be like, I have it written down. Everything he said is locked away in my journals. I coded everything in the event that we ever lose any of this information. Nobody's going to find any further details. I rolled to see if he noticed that you had coded it I and know, he bigger. failed. So, yeah. <clears throat> oh, okay. And you see, I mean, he still looks very nervous, but he looked like he calmed down after you had said you wrote in the journal and you coded everything. Listen, this isn't our first rodeo doing these things. We'll take care of it. The The master must have known so to send you on this errand. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna look straight at James. <laughs> That's totally what happened. Mm -hmm. well, well, I mean... <clears throat> Can I roll a psychology to see if he's nervous because of what happened or if there's another reason he's nervous? You can, yes. Nope. It's 88 over 60. I'll give it a go. Okay. 26. Yes. Would the psychologist like so to roll psychology? Would the expert yeah, the of guy the field want to get in on this? 
Nope, because he doesn't know what's going on. Son of a bitch. Anyway, Daniel. What'd you roll? A 90. Oh, my God. 17 under 27. Oh. So the investigators got it. (laughs) The two investigators, you're kind of studying him to see why he's so nervous because it seems very off-putting. But you realize he just seems very concerned from his master and their present position. He just seems nervous about being watched. He kind of looks at the door a few times. And since he had mentioned about he's certain that they are being watched, you just discern that. Y'all got any place to go besides here? Anyone else you can trust? Uh, Don't worry. We will figure all that out. You should be getting on your way. He, the, my master seemed quite urgent for you to go and finish this task. I can always contact grandmother if you wanted to borrow one of our homes in the countryside. I appreciate that. I will ask the master when he awakens. All right. Um, Just um, tell him to contact grandmother and. <clears throat> she can set something up. Fucking grandma, what the fuck is... <clears throat> She's a bit old, but she still runs the family quite well. You know what? It's for another discussion, another time. <clears throat> right, we'll... Um, we'll get moving immediately. Right, time to unfuck the fuckery. He just kind of gives you a weird look and he goes to the door and unlocks it and opens it for you. Right. I'm gonna head out the door. Okay. You all go outside and you hear the door shut behind you. And that is where we're gonna end the episode tonight. Thank you all for listening. Tune in next week. Hey everybody. This is your Mythos Master, Ariel. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please leave a review and share it with a friend. You can come chat with us on our Discord or check out our Twitter. Links are in the show notes below. Next episode airs next Saturday. Keep your percentiles low and your sanity high. What up tonight, City? You're listening to N54 Radio. This is DJ Sparks bringing you a new hit show from Night City, Cyberpunk, a cyberpunk red live play podcast. Listen as a ragtag group slamming on the corpos. Survive the streets and try to keep from being flatlined. You can tune in on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. DJ Sparks out! Hello, this is Charlie Transmutation coming to you with another PSA announcement. No, Charlie. This is a commercial. What? Crap. Nobody told me that. Well, what are you supposed to do in this thing anyway? Well, Charlie, I'm glad you asked. This is the part where we introduce our new homebrew 5e D&D podcast, The Fumbling Four and the Almighty Crit, where we explore the homebrew world of Alteris using homebrew rules and homebrew material from the Dungeon Master's Guild. Eh, sounds boring. I'm out of here. See you later, Charlie. We hope to have you guys come check us out soon. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.